So it was early spring, doing some yard cleanup, went around to the back side of the house and noticed that the sump pump where it was, you know, going into the drainage tile, I noticed there was a lot of standing water around it. Now listen, parentheses here, those of you who've been around Eagle a while, you know I am preschool skill level when it comes to, you know, repair stuff. I just know all of the right people around here to call. You guys have bailed me out so many times. So it was one of those situations where I look at it and said, that doesn't look right. And then I heard it, you know, the pump kicked on and the water just spewed and like a sprinkler head. So I, I, I remembered this infomercial. Truth, I, I remember the infomercial, flex tape. You know what I'm talking about? Flex tape and the flex tape seal, the flex seal tape thing, the... You know the guy with it, like, they take a hole in a boat, and they put, like, a piece of flex tape on the hole in the boat, and then they take the boat out skiing. I thought, well, if it can handle, a, or swimming pool, they had, like, a hole in a swimming pool, and they took some flex seal tape and put it on there. I said, I got some, I'm going to, I'm just going to flex seal tape. It looks like it's just got a bunch of holes at the top. And So here's a picture of, Ted, did you put up the first picture of what was the mess? Yeah, there's what it looked like when it was just not doing well. So here's my Initial solution. Next one, Ted. So, what are you laughing at? That's a pretty solid solution, I thought, right? I'm just going to seal it up. Looks pretty good, right? Put some, you kind of have some, it's kind of a rubber material, has some spray on it, and I felt, I felt pretty good until the pump kicked on. And when the pump kicked on and the water came up, it just, it stopped spraying out multiple directions, and it just kind of, I heard it, and then it just slowly leaked out the bottom, like just sprayed out the bottom. I thought, well, now I know what many of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, you already know what the problem is. What should I do now? I do what any solid homeowner would do. I went to Lowe's. Because John, who his, he and his family, who, John runs the Lowe's over here, store manager, great, great guy, great staff. They're so patient and helpful with people like me who come in. And I went over to Lowe's, and I took a picture, and I explained the situation, and, you know, one of his really smart staff said to me, Eric, you've got a blockage in your drainage tile. It's not right near the front, because, you, you know, you can hear the water, but then slowly after the water's, you know, it backfills up. And so what's pressing out the top is your backfill. So you need to auger out the drainage tile. This sounds interesting. This got to get a lot more complicated right now, right? But to get to it, you're going to have to cut off the top of the drainage tile. You with me? Okay, this is, this is becoming a, yeah. So cut off the top of the drainage tile, I get an auger, I get my hose, he said take the auger and the hose and like jam them down together through the drainage tile. So I got an auger and I got my hose on full blast with water and I start feeding it down. I get about six feet down, boom, and this is probably a 30 to 40 foot run. So I got about six feet in and just stopped. I thought, well the water's running on full blast, I run around to the back side of where it's draining out to see if anything's coming. I mean, I got the hose on full blast, and there's just a small little trickle coming out the bottom, and it's charcoal black. 
And so I just start jamming the hose and the auger. I just start jamming it and jamming. It starts kind of making a little bit. And I keep running around the end, and I just see like a larger pool of water just starts kind of coming out the bottom of the drainage tile. Just, but it's, it's as black as this tile here. And then I just keep jamming it. Eventually it kind of has an initial breakthrough and I get what I think is most of the way through and I keep running around the end and the, the water level starts picking up a little more and the color of the water starts shifting from charcoal black, kind of a chocolate brown, a little bit lighter brown. And then I start noticing some chunks of sediment start coming out. Start, this thing is flushing out just over and over and over. So last week I introduced us to a term that the Bible uses 84 times called consecration. The consecrated life, it's a term that has this idea of an exclusivity, kind of a set-apartness, a wholehearted devotion to God and His ways and purposes. It's a it's the pull that God calls his people into in environments that are filled with compromise. And what we want to look at today are three movements in the consecrated life that I want you to think of it today as the work God does to kind of clean out the drainage tiles of the soul to get his life and his spirit flowing fully through where Maybe today we'll take some time and examine, is there a blockage or two that might be holding some things back? So open up your Bible, 2 Chronicles 29, that's where we're going to be today, 2 Chronicles 29. We're going to look at three movements, three movements in the consecrated life. When you look at the theme of consecration from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see these three movements. When God calls his people into a place of wholehearted devotion, of a set-apartness, he calls them into a place, cleansing, sacrifice, and dedication. Those are three movements of the consecrated life. Cleansing, sacrifice, and dedication. As I put in your notes, the word consecrated, it means kadesh. It means this set-apartness. And 1 Peter 3.15 is a New Testament kind of unpacking the phrase when he says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's consecration. It has this idea, right, in the storyline of salvation history, when God's people were immersed in compromise, God would pull them into a place of being consecrated. David Wells put it this way, a theologian said, worldliness is what any particular culture does that makes sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. Okay, so in those kinds of environments, God calls us to consecration. Or it's in Isaiah 5 type settings, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. In that space, he calls us to consecration. And earlier this summer, I came across an article, 130-year-old Episcopal, Calvary Episcopal Church in Louisville, Kentucky. They held a worship rally at the end of June this summer on a Friday night. And they called the worship rally this, quote, drag me to church, a gospel drag show, end quote. Okay, this, I, I thought it was kind of a, I don't know, I thought it was maybe a you know, take on something else, but as I dug more, no, it is what you, you think it, it might be. Now listen, Jesus makes it really clear, we're to love all people everywhere at all times, no matter the circumstance. Our posture is love towards anyone and everyone, no matter your background, no matter your struggle, 
right? Jesus is, in my view, the ultimate view, the benchmark for love. When you love Jesus, like Jesus said, he even said, greater man is no one than this, greater love is no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends, right? Jesus said that. Like, if you want the definition of love, I think Jesus, right, he is the embodiment of love. But listen, Jesus is also the one who said on the cross when he's dying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. See, here's the challenge. I think culturally, we are struggling in this because we are equating love with approval. Giving love is different than extending approval. Like, parents, you know this, right? Your kids are not always going to do things that you approve of. And when they make decisions and choices you don't approve of, that doesn't change your baseline love for them as a person, but you're going to step in and try to call them to correction and get them in line with what would be behavior that's more approved by you as a parent. That's the same. Jesus is the most loving leader the world has ever seen. But he said to the woman caught in adultery, right? In that scene in John 8, he said, hey, neither do I condemn you. That's why the cultural moment, love, love, you just do you. Of course, love, love, you just do you. Jesus would embody that. But love isn't the same as approval. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see that? I can love you and the Imago Dei inside of you and not affirm and approve your choices and decisions that you are making. So as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, our baseline in our heart has to be postured in love towards every single one you lock eyes with. But the cultural pressures we face is love gets dovetailed into approval. And it's, they're two different things. Giving approval to someone's behavior, choices, and actions is different than extending love towards them. Theo Hobson's a PhD from Cambridge. He's an author and a professor. I shared this quote a few months back. I thought it warranted a repeat because here's what he says. You know you're in the middle of a cultural revolution, a moral revolution when, listen to this, when what was universally condemned is now celebrated, when what was universally celebrated is now condemned, and those who refuse to celebrate are condemned. That's this moment. Are you tracking that? Because there's a blurring of the lines between the posture of love towards a person and it's moving to the space of you have to give approval and it's even pressing beyond approval. You have to celebrate. Do you see that? And there's the distinction. Hey, we can love and honor and respect each person and the Imago Dei, no matter the challenges and the circumstance, what's going on, we can love them and then we can also join Jesus and call them into a way of living in this world that will cause them to flourish as a human being. Jesus has a vision for human flourishing that no one else has. To say, come and follow Jesus. Walk his way. Do it his way. Handle your body and your sexuality the way Jesus outlined to do it. There's no one with a better vision for it than him. That's the picture. And so into that, this isn't new for 2023. This has been going on since Adam and Eve took the fruit in Genesis 3. That as humans, we have this propensity inside of us to drift away, to kind of turn life in on itself, to mirror the culture around us. Remember last week's quote from Yancey? The church has become too much of a mirror, and when really we're supposed to be a window into another world, the way of Jesus. We don't mirror back what's around us. We provide a window in. And, but since Genesis 3, we've struggled with these things. And we, God calls his people 
in these spaces, when we hit this space of compromise, he calls us in the opposite direction. It's an equal, if not more passionate pull in the opposite direction called consecration. And that's where Hezekiah finds himself in 2 Chronicles 29. He's in one of these settings. He steps into the kingship of the southern kingdom of Israel. His dad, Ahaz, had been the previous king. And his dad had led for 16 years a leadership that was filled with compromise. That basically all the lines God had drawn, all the fences God has, Ahaz ripped up all those fences, and he's going to do it his own way. I'm going to do what I want, how I want, when I want. Everybody else deal with it. I'm going to do me. Everybody bend reality to me. Good thing we don't struggle with that today, but just imagine if we might have some of that going on in some leadership circles around. And so right now, in the midst of a 16-year downward spiral that was marked with idolatry, rebellion, self-centeredness, pride, and unfaithfulness to the Lord, Hezekiah steps in, in the middle of this dark and difficult time filled with compromise. 16 years it was compromised on the front page. And we're going to see him work through these three phases of consecration. Look at 29, verse 3 to 6. In the first month of the first year of his reign. So he steps onto the throne. Look, first month, first year. He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now, and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all the defilement from the sanctuary. Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. So beginning two times in that section, consecrate, consecrate. That's of the ten times that word is used in this chapter alone. Ten different times. You think, you think Hezekiah's trying to make a point here? You think maybe in his leadership he's trying to make a statement as he steps onto the throne? He says, hey, it's been a 16-year downward spiral, spiral and compromise, and the Lord's put me in this spot to call us to a place of consecration. And the first movement you see in this is, is cleansing. It's a cleansing movement. See, the cleansing movement of consecration is this. You get really honest with where you are and how you got where you got. So you've heard me say before, the, the beginning of the journey from where you are to where God wants you to be starts right where you are. And so you've got to get real clear and call things by their right name on what you've been doing, how you've been behaving, and how you've landed where you are doing what you are. That's, that's, that's this cleansing step. Are you tracking with me? Notice the language in Hezekiah's case, right? Did you see it in verse 5 and 6? Here's the language of cleansing. Remove all defilement. Unfaithful. Did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Forsook him. Turned their faces away from him. Turned their backs on him. That's the vocabulary of cleansing. You see that? Getting really honest about, hey, this is how we've been behaving. This is what we've been doing. This is how we've landed where we've landed. This is the work of cleansing. You have to be honest you have to say, these are the places in my heart and life that are out of bounds. God put his boundaries here. I've stepped over those boundaries. I've chosen to handle it the way I want to handle it. However I want to handle it, I've pushed God to the margins. I've mocked his name. You've got to put language to the pattern in your own heart that needs to be cleansed out. This is the movement. If you want to go the consecrated life, we're going to have to work on this. This is the flushing out of the drainage tiles of the soul that have been marked with compromise. You, there's some things, maybe you've been harboring some anger and bitterness and resentment and towards someone, and you know, and you're holding it. And you know you've been holding it. 
And you know the Lord's calling you to do something about it, and you just hold it. Or maybe you're not honoring God with your body. Maybe you know you've been compromising sexually for a long time. And you, part of the, the cleansing work would be saying, I'm going to go from compromising the way I'm handling my body sexually, I'm going to make a turn towards purity in the way God wants. That's, that's what a consecrated step moves in the work of cleansing. Or maybe you're just struggling with slothfulness and kind of a, a laziness, slothfulness, kind of drifting along, distracted and caught up and whatever, just kind of mindlessly going through life and you realize you're not spending your life on the stuff that matters the most. You just kind of, maybe it's something in that space. Or maybe you've got relationships in your life and you know they're leading you down the wrong path and you know God's been speaking and tapping on your heart about it and you just choose to do nothing about it. Maybe that's something that needs to get worked on. Or maybe it's just selfishness, pride, greed. Maybe it's just an overall contamination of your spiritual life and you know it. You've allowed some influences into your spiritual life that are affecting you, that are undermining your vision for who God is and his character and his plans for your life. And you know God wants that cleansed out of your heart. See, the first move of consecration is a deep-seated enough is enough. I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm done compromising in these ways. That's part, of, that's part of the start. I'm done rationalizing. I'm done excusing. I'm done blame-shifting. God says there's the most important things in my life, and I need to get about the most important things. It's what you've heard me say many times with C.S. Lewis's quote. Put first things first, and second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both first and second things. This is that movement. It's getting first things first. It's a step of cleansing. And for Hezekiah and the Israelites, this was a 16-day process. <laughs> Look at this, verse 17. They began the consecration on the first day of the first month. Finishing on the 16th day of the first month. How about that? <laughs> Started on day one. It didn't finish for 16 days. Listen, 16 years of compromise and rebellion warranted 16 days of cleansing. I think there's something in that. You see, the longer and deeper the places of consecration have gone on in our hearts and in our lives, the places where we've shaded the lines and crossed the lines and pushed things aside and rationalized, the longer that's gone on and the more deeply entrenched those are, I think that's probably a good window into the depths of the cleansing work by the Holy Spirit that's going to be needed in those places. You can't just expect to flip a switch in one moment. You've got years of a pattern established one way in the hands of the Spirit of God. There's going to be a turn and a shift, but there's got to be a decisive moment, right? A breakthrough. That's what we're praying, right? A breakthrough moment, and then you begin to partner with the Holy Spirit and begin to rebuild in the direction of the way of Jesus on those habits and patterns. That's this cleansing work. And that thrusts right in. Do you see this movement of cleansing? Hezekiah says, hey, dad's led us 16 years down the wrong road. I'm stepping in. I'm calling us to consecrator. And it's going to start with cleansing. We need to send the auger down into the drainage tiles of our soul. And we need to flush some things out. Which then thrusts us into the second movement, which is sacrifice. Because God said, well, if you're going to get something cleansed in his eyes, it requires blood as a sacrifice. So you immediately begin to ask, how is something washed away in the heart of a human being? It's through blood. That's a, if you read in the storyline, look at verse 19 and following. Check this out. Verse 19. It says, we have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They're now in front of the Lord's altar. See, there's step one. They got some things reset there. 
Early the next morning, Hezekiah gathered the city officials together, went up to the temple. What they do? They bring seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats, sin as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. The king commanded the priests and the descendants of Aaron to offer these on the altar of the Lord. Do you see that? Thousands and thousands of gallons of blood are poured out under the old covenant for people's sin, for their hearts to be flushed out and cleansed. Of course, on the glory of the new covenant, on this side of the cross, five quarts of Jesus of Nazareth's blood accomplished more than those tens and thousands of gallons of animal blood. It all laid the groundwork for Jesus' finality, saying, hey, this is the cleansing work. This is what 1 John 1 says, but if we're living in the light, as God's in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. Here's the line. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see that? Hallelujah for that. Praise God. If it wasn't for Jesus' blood, anyone in the place of a priest or a pastor ministry, we just need to wear a butcher's apron to do our work. We're just going to be covered with blood all the time. Because as humans since Genesis 3, we're really skilled at sinning, me included. Like I've got a PhD on how to sin and rebel and get distracted and wander away from the things. That's Genesis 3 stuff. That's deeply embedded here. And God says, yeah. And here's the covering I demand for any place of sin. Blood is the covering. That's what Augustine said years ago. God, demand whatever you wish and then provide for whatever you demand. God says, I demand blood to cover and I provide. He sends Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, once for all to cover over and cleanse. Church, do you see the consecrated life is a costly life? It costs Jesus his life that his bride be consecrated to the Father. He said to the Father, take my consecrated act, my devotion, take what I'm going to lay down, and that becomes the means by which anyone from any background at any time can bring their sin and brokenness to me and I'll bring my healing grace to you. That's the glory of the gospel. Because here's the battleground with this issue of sacrifice. The battleground's this. We're really good at trying to manage our sin in our own wisdom and strength. We know deep down, if we're honest, there's stuff in here that's all messed up and we're making decisions. We know. We've got thoughts. We've got choices, patterns, behavior. We know. And it, we know there's a sense it demands a covering. So the covering we try to, in our own flesh, in our human, we try to cover it in our own wisdom and strength. We rationalize it. We deny it. We blame shift about it. We just want to cover. We know the sin in our life needs a covering. Here's the glory of the gospel. Do you see this? Here's the relief Jesus offers. It's just like this picture that God says, demands a covering for your sin. How about abandoning all of the cover-up work you're trying to do in your own wisdom and strength? Give all that up, uncover your sin before Jesus, and let him cover it up in his blood and his love and grace. Hallelujah, what a glorious picture. God says, bring your sin, uncover it before me, and I'll cover it up in Jesus. That's this picture of the sacrifice. Like cleansing's available and the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. So that way there's things in our heart that can get flushed out by the power of his spirit and his sacrifice, which leaves us then in the third and final space we're looking at today, which is this place of dedication. Because consecration is costly, but in Jesus it's become a lived reality and now they get to the place where they can dedicate. Look at verse 29. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer, 
So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their hearts in worship. Look at verse 31. Hezekiah said, you have now dedicated yourselves, underline that, to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. So here's the movement, right? From cleansing to sacrifice, the movement of dedication says this. In light of the person that I'm consecrated to, in light of the purpose that I'm consecrated for, in light of the power that I'm consecrated with, in light of all that, I now, I'm going to invest my time and energy and attention and resources in step with this new direction. That's dedication. Did you follow that? That's what dedication means. This is when it gets real practical. It gets down to the everyday yeses and no's. This is a step where the consecrated life shifts the what matters most in your heart place. The value seat. What's going to get your best? Your time, your energy, your attention, how we handle our finances, right? What do we invest our time in? Where do we give our attention to? Who we spend time with and who we don't? Where we put the offensive energy burst of our life. We've only got so many offensive energy bursts to give each day. And the dedication step says, where are those going to go? A consecrated heart says they're going to go to the things that God says matter the most. It was Augustine who said, you get the ordered loves of your heart set right and then shift the everyday choices of your life from there. So this is about rightly ordering the loves of the heart. You get the ordered love set right, and then it flows out of that to the choices and decisions and values that you're going to make. So real practical around here right now is several, several of you are wrestling with the step of baptism. So here's what a consecrated heart in life does. A consecrated heart to the Lord, at some point, you go into the waters of baptism. Like... At some point, you go public with your declaration of identity with Jesus. That's called baptism. And so in a couple weeks, we're going to have a big baptism service here. And I want to encourage you, those of you who are taking steps in this consecration area, if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, why not? What's holding you back? Well, a, cons a cleansing and a sacrifice and a, de a dedication says, enough's enough. No more excuses, no more rationalizing, no more letting fear of whatever I'm going to stand before God and my church family, and I'm going to declare I'm consecrated to a person for a purpose and with a power of his spirit rise from those waters of baptism. I think that needs to happen for several of you. And I think you know who you are, and I think you know you've been wrestling with it, and it's just time. It's just time to settle it. Enough's enough. It's time to settle it. It's a step of dedication. So once you make a decision, say, Lord, I want to consecrate myself to you, these are the movements. There's a work of cleansing, there's a work of sacrifice, and the work of dedication. Do you see that? That's the rhythm, the movements of a step toward the consecrated life. So worship team, come on back up. Here's how we're going to wrap this up. So I got the drainage tile. I got the thing, you know, flushed out. I got it all flushed out. The water eventually turned clear, and it was flowing really good. I was feeling really good about that. And then I recognized, you already know, right? What did I have to do at the end of the line to get the hose and everything down there? I had to, so I had a project, another phase two of the project. I had to reattach. How do you think that went? 
I just thought I could go to Lowe's and get a new cap. And when I took my old beat-up cap that was all because I had to cut it off and other things, the guy said to me, he says, oh, they don't make this cap anymore. I mean, they just stopped making the cap? They still make the drainage tile, you don't make the caps? I mean, you've got to cap it differently now. So multiple trips to Lowe's, multiple pieces of PVC pipe and drainage pipe and all this other stuff. And I had, this was like spanning multiple nights now. Here's me in the evening. Kendra came out and snapped a picture one night. I'm out here, okay? <laughs> I was really excited because somebody bought me, I think for Christmas, I can't remember who got it, got me like a headlight, like a forehead headlamp. I thought I looked really cool with that. I'm out there working at night, I'm sawing stuff, I'm trying to get the water to flow, I'm trying to get it connected, night one went into night two, and went into night three, and I finally got all the right pieces, and got it all sealed up, here's the end product, I felt really good about it, you know, I, I did, I felt really good about it, so I went inside, I said, honey, would you like to come see my multi-night project? <laughs> and she steps outside on the porch, and she's looking at it. She says, honey, that, that looks really nice. I could tell there's a little more there. Yeah, so it looks really nice. She goes, well, isn't that what it's always looked like? <laughs> Marriage is awesome. Marriage is awesome. <laughs> Marriage is awesome. my point. Externally, Ted, can you put that back up? Externally, visually, kind of looks like it's always looked like. Where's all the work? It's hidden. It's underground. It's in those invisible spaces and places. Listen, last Sunday morning, a couple of hundred of you were all down front here, kneeling, praying, arms extended, tears flowing. Listen, visually on the out, externally, what looks different with all of us externally? We all look pretty much what we looked like last Sunday. Here's the consecrated life. Consecrated life, but hey, there's some things in the drainage tiles of the soul. There's some stuff shifting in here. There's some stuff moving in here. There's some cleansing work in the hidden spaces, in the quiet place. You can't see it. On the outside, it looks the same. But on the inside, deep down this crevice, you know some things are shifting. And it's not the same. That's a consecrated life. And so you don't need my permission each Sunday to come and kneel in any of the prayer space. They're always open for you to come and kneel and pray. And the team's going to lead us through a final song. And it's kind of one of those songs I think that's become a bit of a kind of a cry, a cry of our heart for this season of consecration I feel like the Lord has us in as a church. I don't know where this is all going. I just know the role, we're supposed to call the church to consecration. What could the Lord do with a body of people that are fully consecrated? Who knows? Holy crazy stuff, if I understand the Bible right. Who knows? Our role is these steps, cleansing. We got to get some augers down the drainage tiles. We got to get honest about some compromised spaces, and we got to we got to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And then it's up to Him from there what He wants to do with all that. So I'm going to leave you.
a few questions. These are in your note sheets online, folks. They're on your uh, notes there online as well. I want you to take these today. I want you to reflect on them this morning, reflect on them through the week, perhaps have a conversation with someone you know uh, knows you well. It says, are there some places of compromise and casualness that need to be cleansed from my heart? And just get real honest about it. Or where do you sense the Spirit of God saying, hey, saying to you right now, surrender. Surrender this. Loosen your grip here. Trust me with this. Where do you sense that movement going on with Spirit in your heart? Or where's, where's God leading me right now when I reflect on the rightly placed yeses and the courageous noes? How's God at work in you right now with your yeses and noes? Real practical in the everyday stuff. And then lastly, what's clearer to you now than ever before? What's clearer? We're just going to reflect on those things together. And if you want to come and pray and deal with some stuff, you come up here to the prayer benches or whatever, and you pray by yourself or pray with some others, but let's stand together. Team's going to lead us. During the song, we're also going to receive our tithes and offerings. Details are on the screen. Boxes are in the back. You know, that's part of what the Lord, what a consecrated people, we steward our resources in a way that we bring them to him as an act of worship. That's what the offering is. It's part of our worship response god this way and so jesus we thank you for these moments and we pray that you would do what this song's going to declare that you would ignite something deep down by the fire of your spirit that would change